Hello and welcome to the Conscious Diva podcast. I'm Tatiana and with me today is Kundalini yoga teacher, Rachel Satsiri Doherty. Rachel is a former ballerina with the Australian Ballet and has been teaching Kundalini yoga for almost 20 years. She also happens to be a childhood friend. Welcome Rachel and thank you for being here today. It's just amazing, isn't it? I was thinking that as I was walking down my little stairs here going, wow, we have known each other since we were like six years old. <laughs> I know, <laughs> it's amazing. And you look the same, by the way. Well, so do you. <laughs> Thank you. You look exactly the same. You know, when I see you with your hair pulled back and you've got your Kundalini, you know, little, not, not necessarily a turban, but a top knot, I'm like, yeah, mm -hmm. you look that, I see the ballerina in you with that. I know, wild. <laughs> So I wanted to just ask you um, a question firstly about how you're described because you're described as this trailblazing next generation Kundalini yoga teacher, which I love. And I'd love for you to just explain how you came to receive this description because having witnessed you teach, I can understand how you came to be described as such, but I'd love to hear your description of your teaching style. Mm, I love that question. I would say that that came about because I mostly took a different path. As in, you know, Kundalini Yoga because of Yogi Bhajan's influence and then all of the first generation teachers from Gurmukh to Guru Singh, you know, all of the ones that ended up getting very well known, they all converted to Sikhism. So they not only became teachers of the path and the technology, but they also adopted his religion and his religious path. And so it was assumed that that's what you had to do to become a legitimate Kundalini yoga teacher. So I was kind of the first one to go through the stages. We call it like university really, because it takes about seven, six, seven years to become a lead trainer, to be able to train teachers on this path. And there was a lot of pushback along the way um, you know she doesn't wear a turban she hasn't converted to the you know we had to do this and this who is this younger generation that thinks that they can do it in a different way so there was I got a lot of resistance but then I had a lot of supporters that um, said just be yourself just stay steady and I think even sometimes I was like please God please universe if there's something else I'm meant to be doing this seems really hard right now. So can you please open up a gentler, easier path? So I think I was the first one. Um, I was a little the lamb to the slaughter because I got all of the resistance from the powers that be at the time. But I opened up the path for uh, the other next generation teachers behind me to be able to legitimately stand saying, this is a path of yoga, of union. I'm going to walk my truth. And yoga is for everybody and it is not our religion. So I think the fact that I, you know, had a lot of challenging experiences and there was a little questioning of, oh, are we going to allow this? And I, people, uh, teachers behind me even going, oh, oh my God, okay, she just did it. That means I can do it. So I think I was the, one of the torchbearers in that way. Mm, that's awesome you know I did I did wonder that I wondered why is she not wearing a, a turban you know because I, I didn't know that that was your choice that you didn't want to you know take the vow and become you know follow the path of Sikhism you know I didn't have someone ahead of me saying showing me that this is the way you know my mentor was Gurmukh so but she very much encouraged me to be myself 
and mm. walk my truth. So I definitely had her support in doing that. Yeah, oh, cool. She's awesome. And what a great mentor. And what was it about Kundalini? Because you've also, you'd practiced other, other styles of, med- yeah. of meditation and yoga. Yeah. So what was it about, and you coughing, having an already very accomplished, very successful ballet career. So what was it? Where was this pull? Had you had many injuries? Because mm. I always just assumed, oh, you must have become a yoga teacher to heal your body from your ballet injuries. That was just where I went. It wasn't necessarily that, actually. I think that's, you're right, that's the obvious, you know, the obvious thought pattern, seeing that through. You're right, when I was dancing, um, I really practiced all styles. I practiced Iyengar very diligently for a while. I actually got really into Vipassana meditation. I did a lot of the 10-day silent retreats in my tiny Christmas breaks that I would have from the ballet. So I was always seeking I think I read Tibetan book of the living and dying you know that light reading Mm -hmm. when I was about 14 or 15 so (laughs) I went looking back I'm like wow I was constantly seeking um so I was practicing all of those it was when I had an injury that I discovered kundalini I ruptured my cruciate ligament so I had to have a knee reconstruction and for ballerinas that's probably the most difficult injury and operation to get back to like footballers you can tighten up the leg and it's okay it can be a little bit bent but going up on point you can't do that so it was this real risk of are you going to be able to dance again I found Gurmukh's book I started reading it and started practicing the she has about two or three postures or meditations at the end of each chapter she goes through the chakras and I started practicing it and I just fell, in, I, first of all, closing my eyes after looking in the mirror oh, as a ballerina, my little finger or my eyebrows, not that obsessive. And somehow I got out of it still mentally okay. People go, you're the most sane ballerina that like I've ever met. So it wasn't um, a real needing to run away from it, but it was so, oh, there I am. I thought of Black Swan Inside. for a minute when you said that. <laughs> Very accurate um, description <laughs> of the ballet. Apart from I never saw anyone grow uh, uh, feathers out of their back. Um, um, so I think it was the relief of closing my eyes. It was still like dance is movement, breath, and music. Mm. So that was very healing and soothing for me. Um, I just dropped to a deeper place within myself than I had in other types of yoga and what I noticed immediately was that everything else I'd been doing I felt the peace of it straight after Mm. I felt my body different I felt my mind different but when I started to practice this my life started to change in a different way Um, I'd had insomnia from when I was a little girl you know my dad Um, our dads were good friends and he used to say to me Bed is for sleeping, not for thinking. I remember that at such a young age. So I think I never seemed to anyone, I mean, if you asked any of my colleagues in the ballet, they wouldn't say I was a stressed person. I think I internally held it so much. So I just noticed that I suddenly slept. Hmm. I could have naps. My body went into this relaxation response that it had never I, I hadn't remembered it ever being in before. My anxiety was down. I didn't take things so personally. I could see the other person's reaction or response as more part of them 
So I noticed the changes in my life immediately. And then once I recovered from my injury and went back to dance, I noticed that I was present. Instead of dancing and being outside myself critiquing, I was in the moment. So it made this very, um, it made this uh, imprint and effect on me very quickly. And it wasn't like the first spiritual experience that I was having. I'd done all of these other yeah. things and it just dropped me into myself mm. in a deeper way. Yeah, I totally understand. I, for me also, Kundalini um, was, was similar like that. I was just, I've been practicing since I was 18, also a, a Yinga style. actually started in Sydney before moving to, to New York in my early 20s. And, and it was the same. I was like, wow, wow, like what is this? Later on, years later, I realized it's, the, it's that tantric path. It's the fact that there's mm -hmm. this huge connection to tantra and, um, and the, all of the mantra work, everything, the, the pranayama, all of it in combination together. Uh, I could really resonate, I really have resonated with that, the tantric aspects of, of all of that. So which does, does shift you once you're sort of mm -hmm. in alignment and you feel that shift, it really shows you, awakens you in a really dramatic mm -hmm. way. And I don't think I ever shared this story with you. I wanted to just tell you it's this, how I discovered you were a yoga teacher. It was really funny. I was actually in LA about, uh, I don't know, six or seven, maybe maybe eight years ago. And I would go to LA often. But this particular occasion, I was meeting up with a girlfriend and she she said, oh my God, I've been I've just been doing these incredible classes up at Golden Bridge. And this teacher, Satsuri, she's amazing. She's amazing. Oh my God. And, you know, she's Australian and she's just so incredible. And and I was like, oh, okay, cool, cool. And, and she was really into, into Kundalini at the time. And, um, and so she showed me a picture of you. <laughs> Never. Like, I've known her my whole life. <laughs> what a small world. No, you didn't tell me that. Yeah, no, that is wild. it was great. And then a few years after that, when I was putting together um, research for a docuseries I was producing on yoga, um, you know, I was, I was heading to Pamatikitan and, uh, and there you are mm. on their website, you know, leading, I don't know how many hundreds mm -hmm. of people at their International Yoga Festival on their mm -hmm. land, landing page for that. I went, ah, mm -hmm. look, here you are. Amazing. Mm -hmm. This looks fantastic. You know, just wow. everybody in, in, I could just see the power. And at that point, I hadn't yet attended any of your classes. So it's just that photograph that's captured, you know, the one where your arms are up. And it's, mm -hmm. really, it's actually the back of you. It's mm -hmm. on the front of you, right? You see mm -hmm. all the people in front of you. Mm -hmm. and, and then there are some other shots where it's you front on. And I thought, oh, my God, like, wow, you can really feel the power just in that photograph of you with your arms up in uh, was that uh, ego, right? Like Ego eradicator. Yeah. And, uh, and I thought, wow, like, how amazing. You really can hold space and um mm -hmm. so with that holding space we can go into the rest of our interview about holding space during this time of covid and as a mother like this which is mm -hmm. really what i wanted to talk to you about actually how mm -hmm. you so gracefully and so beautifully over the last several maybe like four or five years now uh since your divorce learn to just live in this incredible place of grace mm -hmm. so how did you do that <laughs> we know it's the tools of yoga but i mean Where's a good place that you feel you want to begin this story? Yeah. Well, what I first will name is when you were saying that the strength that you felt and the connection that you felt when you practiced Kundalini. The first time I think I really felt it so powerfully in my life was when I left the ballet 
because usually that's a traumatic thing. I decided when I was six, I told my parents, oh, I'm going to be in the Australian Ballet. And they're like, oh, yes, darling, says every six-year-old that likes ballet. Um, no, but, but you were I born really, to be a ballerina. I mean, you look but like, like a I ballerina. Really knew. Yeah. Yes, and I really knew. Um, so I loved it. And for me to have such a, as you, you're, you're saying it so well, graceful move from dance into opening my studio in Sydney. It was this strength that the practice reminded me of that I had not fully claimed or not fully recognized or maybe even not fully known I was allowed to claim. I think as women, we're often not taught, shown mm, that we're allowed to claim our space, make our decisions for our life. Um, you know, a lot of, I think a lot of people would just ask me, oh, when you leave the ballet, oh, you just want to get married and have kids? And I was like, oh, no, that's not my dream right now. I, I really want to help people. All yoga, but then this yoga specifically helped me come home to myself. And it was almost like I get to hold the space for other people to be able to do that too. Wait, what? <laughs> this can be my life. So it was a very pure, uh, simple intention that I could share what had been given to me and what I had learned. Sometimes when you're practicing, especially when you meditate every morning, you can definitely feel like nothing's happening. Right? You're yeah. sitting with your mind, you're agitated. One day you're sad, another you're bored, another is this really working? Is this doing anything? I'm going to be too tired if I do this, right? It's just the, no matter how long you practice good news and bad news, that is still there. Mm -hmm. And in this last year during COVID, it was so challenging, right? To suddenly, so personally myself, I have been teaching all over the world. I teach in Bali every year. I teach in Mexico. I teach in Hawaii. I teach over the U.S. And even since I had my daughter seven, seven and a half years ago, that's what I've been doing, even with her, bringing her everywhere. So for everything to stop and for the studio that I was at, uh, Golden Bridge became Wonderlust, um, for that to close and then announce they're shutting fully to move everything online. Are my students going to show up? Are they going to want to show up? I'm the provider financially, physically, emotionally for, for my child, for our lives. We live in Laurel Canyon, LA. I moved here for the school for her to go to. So I was like, ah, right? <laughs> okay, universe, this is where it gets real. Can you live what you've been teaching? Can you live what you really know is true in your heart? And so I really noticed points in this last year where the pressure would feel so thick in my daughter's home and hitting me on the face during yoga class. Oh, mom, I don't know how to do this math thing. Um, and it, it all just being, it, it felt like India to me. That's what it felt like. You know, in <laughs> India, how in the West, we have everything in nice little boxes. Mm -hmm. The kids' school is over here. The toilets and the bathroom are over here. The food is over here, right? In India, everything smashed together in the street and you don't yeah. have that luxury. The beauty of it, if you allow India to 
do India to you mm-hmm. is that you find a peace within you amidst the chaos that you never knew you had. Yes. And COVID was like that for me. Actually, even the last few years of my life, as you said, you know, my divorce happened very quickly. My ex woke up one day and was like, see ya, I'm done with this marriage, with this life. We had just moved to New Mexico for his work. So I just left all my work here and all my friends and my support here. Move. Okay, bye. See ya. Oh, my God. Quite literally, and for people who don't know, I mean, it's true. You you guys woke up in the same bed one morning and he literally rolled over and said, I'm done. So that shock and then the reckoning that comes after and the, the stages of grief that come after and how when you have a shock like that, like when someone dies, you go into this space where the simple becomes very profound and it's almost like a horse, right, with blinkers on Mm -hmm. and I every night I would put my hands on my heart and I would be like you fed your daughter today you showered today you meditated today amazing go to sleep and wake up and do it the next day and everything just became like my life was had to be rebuilt again so doing that and moving back to LA and starting over there was a lot there's a lot more to that story oh one, I know I was just one thinking aspect, I know you know some of that <laughs> one aspect is waking up and there's zero in all of my bank accounts so that's yeah. just one other aspect mm-hmm. so to truly when I look back like the phoenix rising out of the ashes before COVID I had already experienced the ability to the ability to that goodness wind, as in inhaling such, exhaling um, the next right step. Okay, get enough money so that you and your daughter can move back to LA. That is number one. Oh, you've heard about this wonderful school in Laurel Canyon, Wonderland. Okay, then you get into there. Okay, you know, one step at a time, Wonderlust has yeah. the invitation. Do you want to come and teach? Do you want to run teacher trainings here? Okay, one step at a time. KRI was like, you are our next generation teacher, Kundalini Research Institute. Do you want to lead the trainings in Bali? And, you know, so, you know, there were a lot of hard times. I'm not saying that all of these things just happened. But Mm. when I look back, one pebble, one pebble, one pebble, one pebble. It's It's the remembrance that we die and are being reborn. You know, that cycle of creation that we all pretend and our ego certainly wants to pretend is not happening, but it's happening with every single breath. The humility of that, I have nothing and everything I thought was real is not real. And now I build myself up again. So last year during COVID, even though it was so painful and so challenging and so isolating and of course, I had those moments. I was like, geez, already being a single parent is a lot. Now my child doesn't go to school. I didn't even fathom because I'm working and teaching usually how much space in my brain, all of us parents, right? You don't even, we didn't realize how much space in our brain we just got from our kids being at school. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so then to not have that, uh, the pressure of it, the pressure cooker of the relentless nature of no relief, of 
my yoga students needed me so much. So I moved and created this online community and they all came and they all showed up. And it's been the most amazing experience with them this past year. But then also, yeah, my daughter needs me all of the time. So this, this reckoning and this totally dying, ego death, identity death, you know, marriage, finance, start my career again. I'd left LA to like start over and begin again. Everything I knew had gone. So to feel into that strength going into COVID or remember that strength maybe going into COVID, I was like, well, I'm going to be okay. I didn't, I couldn't practice as much because I was so stretched. Mm-hmm. But what I love with a, a practice, especially over years, is you realize that your inspiration can be very high and then very low, but it's so accumulative, the effects. Mm-hmm. So I really got the benefit of year after year after year after year, that honest work, that sweat work, that sitting and meditating when I didn't want to, when it was inconvenient, when all of the reasons why not to, now I'm receiving the benefit. Sometimes <laughs> I wish I could give a little taste of that to someone who's just starting, right? Yeah. Like If you just, yeah, I know, sometimes you're going to be so bored with your own thoughts and, oh, I thought I'd learned that lesson and here I am again, all of it, we're all the same. But if you just keep going a little bit, it doesn't have to be an hour a day. Just make it real in your life and sit with yourself little bit by little bit. Oh, the then yes, when your child is going through, when you want to just go for a walk by yourself and have your own space. Um, but our relationship between her and I, I just was noticing this last week. There's such a, a depth and beauty and trust there that that I think we always had in a way. But she had to see me like freak out. It was one day when I was so stressed. I think something was going on with Zoom and just all day long, things didn't work. Her school stuff wasn't working. Mine wasn't. It was just accumulative. I was in the middle of running a teacher training online, which if you'd ever told me a year ago that you could ever do that, I would have just laughed. Um, And she came up to me and she said, Mama, I want you to go downstairs and I went downstairs and she goes go into the bathroom she had run me a bath she'd made me a peppermint tea she had brought Alexa down and put on um like classical music for me I should put on Ave Maria um (laughs) and she said mama you always take care of me so I just needed to do something for you And it's interesting, of course, in the first moment, I went into that mama guilt of like, oh, she shouldn't know that I'm stressed. And then I was like, oh, my God. Okay, get a grip. Look at that. You know, the kindness and the generosity. she's seven, right? She's young. Seven. Yeah, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. Taking care of each other and honoring her feelings and honoring, being steady enough in myself to be able to honor her sadness and hold space for it honor her frustration, honor her loneliness, uh, honor her bouncing off the walls. Um, Yeah, because she's going through exactly the same emotions that you are because it's her father that left you guys and, you know, carried on and did whatever. And she also is experiencing not being able to be at school like every other child and having to be at home. Mm -hmm. And as we were saying a few weeks ago when we spoke, 
you know, your, your, your daughter's different ages, to, different age to my kids. I've got, a, he'll be 17 tomorrow, actually, <laughs> which I can't believe. And my daughter will be 12. So mm. it wasn't as difficult because my kids had already been in a established re- school routine for many years. They weren't in first grade, kindergarten, first grade, lower grades, right, where you really need to be there to help them figure out all those problems and stuff. And the support from the classroom is so critical from a teacher. And also, but we also were talking about the tools of yoga. And when we were just sharing your story, you know, if you, we don't know in the moment when we're going through a hardship, how many lessons we're going to learn and the growth that we're going to experience until way later on down the line. Right. And Mm -hmm. Similarly to you, during COVID, I was able to step into the things that were affecting my family, my in my relationship with my husband, you know, stuff, and and I thank God for the tools of yoga. I think thank God I have had this practice for decades, and and it's remarkable. And as you said, you want to just share with you know people who are just starting out. Hey, just you know, really stick with it. Like it's it'll come. Like trust. Trust is the biggest aspect, I think, of this. You know, you've got to trust mm-hmm. because we do and then we're faced with bigger challenges. It's like, hey, I went through something way worse. <laughs> I can deal with Absolutely. this. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. I can deal with this. You can deal with it. And then you can, help, you can be there and show up for the people who perhaps haven't experienced something mm-hmm. so tragic. You know, not everyone has to experience mm-hmm. a tragedy, right? Mm-hmm. They don't. Um, but often in a tragedy, we do grow profoundly and learn how to rely on ourselves and where to pull strength from. And that yeah. when we give into the trust, the universe really does guide us and show us yeah. what to do, you know. And as you yeah. said, all these things aligned for you with the opportunities. And, and I know it wasn't mm-hmm. like you woke up one morning and it, you know, it just happened. I mean, I remember mm-hmm. you were in New York teaching with um, Guru Nam and he was playing with you. Mm-hmm. He played guitar and you were teaching and it was mm-hmm. in Golden Bridge in New York before they closed. Mm. so maybe four or so years ago five years ago something Mm. like that and um it was really beautiful like you you really just shared this such an open heart with all of your students I thought wow this is really amazing what a gift you are as a teacher because I could see how how devoted and I and I don't use that in a sense of you know, a religious sort of sense, because mm-hmm. this, this, you know, love, this genuine love, you really are being of service, which is a huge part of, of yoga, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Probably the most important part. Absolutely. You know? It doesn't, of course, it doesn't matter, like how, why you get into it or anything like that. Some people want, so want their Madonna arms and whatever it is, but mm, especially if you become a teacher it really, it becomes such a path of devotion and of service mm. to allow the other person to come home to their own selves and their own soul. And the privilege of that, like the blessing yeah. of that, that I always tell new teachers that we get to see that time and time again, yeah. that maybe that person, and you see when the tears come and maybe that person has never had the time or the space to have that experience before and you're not the one to make it happen but you have helped create the environment and space for them to relax enough and get quiet enough to come home yeah very powerful very precious very profound 
as I think as teachers, we get so used to it, but it's very important to pay attention. And oh, uh, if one person can have that experience, it's miraculous, but person after person after person, as you know, as we know, have it with a practice. Yeah, yeah. It, it, these are really amazing gifts, right? They're amazing tools and it goes so beyond the physical. You know, the transformative power of yoga is just, it's mysterious and it's radical and it's just empowering and, it, and it's, it's just life altering on so many levels, right? It's like, mm-hmm. you know, it's really a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I would say also, especially with Kundalini, but with all types of yoga, you notice when you start to practice, if you have been a little dissociated. You can feel, oh, I'm a little outside of my body. And so those moments where you can drop back in and you go, oh, there's sadness there or there's grief there or there's anger there that I've kind of been busying myself um, so I didn't have to feel it. It's inconvenient. I don't have time. Yeah. So as I have learned to be able to sit with my sadness, my grief, my anger, And that's also a process, especially for women, because we haven't usually been encouraged to. um, You don't usually hear people, especially of our generation, oh, yes, express your anger, like feel your anger. We usually get the messages of, oh, little girls aren't angry, you know, um, or stop crying or, you know, cheer up. So as I started to kind of reparent myself in that way, and I wasn't afraid anymore of my sadness, my grief, my anger, I've noticed as a mother, I'm able to be with my child Mm. without needing to fade it or fix it or explain it away. Not everybody likes it, you know, Um, when you allow a child to have their full expression. I'm not at all saying without boundaries, with healthy boundaries. Yeah, for sure. Because I think a lot of people think when you're wanting to parent more consciously is, oh, you just let your child do whatever you want, whatever they want. That's no, not it. No, not at all. But actually the embodiment of, oh, yin and yang, life is in polarities, dark and light. Mm-hmm. I actually can, I've just been teaching uh, my daughter recently. Yeah, you can feel happy about this and sad about this. And you can feel many different things simultaneously And I think that's something that we're not taught so much. Mm, We've had more of a, you know, in the East, they have the beauty and the understanding of suffering is a natural part of life. Yeah. You don't suffer because you're a bad person. Just in the West, how we grow up, it's like, oh, if you're a good person and you do this and this and this, good things happen to you. Oh, if you're a bad person, then this happens. So there's this confusing, like, oh, I thought that only good things were meant to happen to me if I'm a good person. Mm-hmm. Um, so we kind of miss out on the just normalcy of darkness and light. Well, that, and also and we're taught to suppress all of those feelings, right? We're taught to, right. as you were saying before, you know, as a girl, but also for boys, like boys are taught not to cry. You know, men don't cry. So there's a lot of suppression going on in the West of emotions. And growing up with children in, in the 21st century, conscious parenting is a huge thing and sort of become a bit of a, um, 
a catchphrase, anything with sort of conscious, right? It's sort of, that there's a bigger understanding around that. And as you said, it's not about letting your child run wild. It's teaching them to how to be in touch with things so they can be, live wholehearted lives mm -hmm. from a place of truth and have respect and shared experiences and, and not just be these people who run around carrying baggage and then right. later in life having, you know, explosive reactions to that stored baggage. Right. So yeah, home. it's great. I see, I see that we're able to now teach, if we do our own work, we're able to teach our children what wholeness looks like and feels yeah. like. And that does include anger and sadness and joy yeah. and all of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I used to love bringing my kids to Kundalini classes when they were little. Then now that, now that my son's older, he doesn't want to come so much because it's like, oh, I'm not going to... Teenage boy has a bit of a grumble about it, um, but but you know they they definitely live in a house that's filled with yoga and they've been exposed to it since they were born. So um, so I hope some of it rubs off and comes back into their lives later on. I'm sure it will. But right now he's he's running away from it, <laughs> which is fine. Um, but that I, has to happen, right? Yeah, it totally has to happen. He has to explore his own stuff and realize what he's into and not versus what I have, um, you know introduced him to in his life you know, mm -hmm. that, that, that's my thing um but coming back to that point you know what are you teaching other people who are parents well I guess conscious parenting it extends not just to people that have children but parenting ourselves yeah I really talk about that a lot in my yoga classes you know I teach what five five classes a week and then we have a sharing circle as well in my online community. And what we talk about a lot is exactly what you're naming, how the repressed emotions, and especially in COVID, like, first of all, the fear, the, the worry of what is happening, how long am I gonna be locked in my house, then the cabin fever. So, you know, the dam breaks of the anger, of the sadness, um, pretty much did for everybody last year in their different ways. And so we've been talking a lot about, yeah, how to reparent yourself and how to hold the space for your own sadness and your own anger without projecting it out onto someone else. Or also without, um, you know, in spiritual world, not as much now, but it still can have this aspect of toxic positivity that, you're meant to, oh, it's just light and love all of the time. Spiritual bypassing. And <laughs> spiritual bypassing. So yeah. that, um, and a lot of people come to the path thinking, oh God, I'm so negative or I don't want to bring everyone down. So actually really creating these spaces of telling yeah. the truth and speaking the truth of our hearts, mm -hmm. that it's safe to do that. And seeing that is just what happens with people especially women, is just miraculous in that space. Yeah, giving um, permission. Being able to tell the truth. Yeah, giving people permission. That's huge. Oh, you're feeling sad? Oh, yeah. that's the exact right human emotion. So when George Floyd was killed, we witnessed those minutes that seemed like hours in front of our very eyes, and it was broadcast all over the world. What are we meant to feel in that moment? horror, anger, rage at the injustice of it all. That's the normal healthy emotion. If you're alive in a human experience mm -hmm. and body, they're the emotions that you would feel. 
Yeah. But in spiritual communities, often that is whitewash. Oh, there's a reason for everything. Yeah. No, this is the time to be an activist and stand up and say, we are not going to stand for this any longer. Oh, I got a shiver. You know, like, yeah. so there is a time to be soft and vulnerable and speak gently. And there's a time to use our navel and say, enough is enough. Yeah. I love it that. is not okay. So that is being a yogi. What is being yeah. a yogi? Being flexible enough in your identity to meet honestly the time and the space. Not, I'm a spiritual. No, it's understanding your power, right? Understanding your power and where does that come from and what drives it, the Shakti. And it's also that you teach people how to connect with that mm-hmm. instead of sitting there. And, and that is the thing, very much, very much. Yeah, right. I mean, there's no... <laughs> transformational power in mm. pretense yeah no and the byproduct of practicing is you do feel great so that it is easy for people to uh, once they've once the deep rooted emotions have come up and they've worked through them you definitely have this elated experience that can go on and on and on people can really feel oh my god it's amazing oh wow but you know there has to be a balance with that and understand okay it's all right once you come down off that high and you're getting re-in touch with, you know, re-connected uh, to all of your other emotions again, it's okay. We're not always meant to be yeah. ah, airy-fairy. <laughs> no, it's like we've got to awaken ourselves yeah. and then ground our energy mm-hmm. so we can be effective in our lives, so we can be the yeah. best mothers that we want to be, we can be the best partners that we can, we can be the best teachers. All, you know, it has to, us being spaced out or, you know, on cloud nine is great for a moment. Um, but it's not a way to live. We're yeah. going to be most effective when we are spiritual beings having a human experience and not trying to escape that or run away from that in any way. And that embodiment to me is yoga. Yeah. And it takes a lot of reckoning and self-accountability and honesty to consciously walk this path. And again, I'm not saying that as you were not in any holier than thou or pious way. But as a human, how do I live the most conscious, non-harming path on the planet? That's very uh, big ideals to live by. And I'm not always going to be perfect at it. But if I can, every night before I go to sleep, do that self-inventory of how did I do today? Where did I fail? Where, did, where can I do better? And have the compassion mm. To wake up the next day and start over, that is yoga to me. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. And what have you been teaching the most this year? Have is, has there been a theme? Have have has there been a consistency with the types of meditations and kriyas that you have found have come up to help people? Definitely. So people would feel would say they're feeling confused, as in, oh. Um, I don't have a job. I'm on government benefits, but I'm the happiest and freest that I've ever been in my life. Wait, what? Um, you know, I'm loving the time with my family and I, they're driving me insane. So be, being able to sit right in the center of the polarities and not beat ourselves up. We love our family and we need a break from them. Um, the, the people that we're, around too many people, the people that were isolated. So connection, self-connection, being able to sit right in the center of the polarities, the good, the bad, I wish this wasn't happening, the blessings, to be able to notice the blessings 
even amidst the pain and the challenge, which I think I might be starting to get a PhD in because life has asked me to do that. Um, so a lot of that work, a lot of <clears throat> navel and heart work. So yes, feeling that grit and that power that they have as a self-sovereign human being, but not missing the softness, the vulnerability of the heart. You know, the breath technique that I've been doing a lot um, too is Patali Pranayam, you know, inhaling rolled tongue, mm. exhaling nose. Three minutes of that. I mean, your inner agitation is down, that inner fire of anger, anxiety, agitation so powerful the other one that we've been doing a lot which takes some time to work up to that releases a lot of fear and anxiety is one minute breath mm. so you inhale 20 seconds suspend 20 seconds and exhale 20 seconds but you have to work up to it so inhaling 10 suspending 10 exhaling so i've been doing a lot of those pranayans so that people can land back in their body and that their nervous system can get chilled out, mm. calmed down, that we can kick the parasympathetic nervous system in because we've all been in survival in the different ways. When something goes on, well, when, when we get a shock, when our life changes, as it did for all of us last year, the sympathetic nervous system is really taxed. So I've been doing a lot of relaxation, a lot of shavasana, a lot of pranayama to really help calm the nervous system. And are you teaching you are you're teaching now currently live in person on, on Saturdays, yeah, is it? I, I just started um, two weeks ago, Thursday night, teaching in LA um, in Hollywood, uh, 6.30 p.m. Yeah, it's up on the roof of the, this new yoga center that opened. And so the sun is setting and we're in person. So that's been amazing. And it's also been weird. It's just interesting, even feeling my own nervous system mm. of something that I've done for the last 18, 19, 20 years, multiple times a week. It feels a little like I'm in a movie, I guess because it's LA, right? The blue sky, <laughs> the sun is going down, the palm trees are there. Uh, can you I'm see the Hollywood sign? If you turn around that way, you can see the Hollywood sign. <laughs> so it's beautiful, but it's, I can tell that it's a little, my nervous system is just still adjusting to being back in person. It's wow. ironic, isn't it? If you had told mm. me that I would teach classes every day, you know, on Zoom, I would be like, what? And then now teaching in person is taking a little adjustment. Wow. How many people can attend? Is there a limit? And, and how, because in Kundalini, sometimes you know the mats can be touching each other because you know you're not really you're not doing a lot of asanas where your arms and your legs are stretching out you're seated on the so how many people right. how's it spaced so it's they've still got um the mat six feet apart it's a big space actually so the limit is 25 people right now and um Thursday night was the first time that we don't have to wear masks wow. so you wear masks in and then you take them off when you're seated so that was revolutionary for everyone doing their pranayam and their practice so, you know, LA is doing really well. Um, Gosh, I didn't actually think of that, putting pranayama with a mask on if you're using, especially if you're, it's okay if you're just doing like an alternate nostril breathing using your nose, but with, if you've got anything that involves the mouth or like, like 
you know, Breath of so Fire or like Lion's Breath, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> you can't do those. I didn't those. teach those. I had to, <laughs> I had to uh, make the class, you know, align the class yeah. for the mask. So, so I didn't do any of those breaths. Yeah. But now we're free. Now we're free of the mask. Okay, okay. That didn't occur to me because it's my practice at home. You know, you're just doing it at home. You don't have to worry about a mask at home. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. interesting, interesting. Is there anything else you'd like to share before we wrap up? You know, just still speaking to how our conversation about what yoga and meditation give us and bring us. I was doing this meditate. I was doing this interview last week about grief. And it's funny, the morning of the interview, I was looking at the questions that she had posed. And I was just looking at the last, say, 20 years of my life that I've been practicing Kundalini, especially so regularly. And when I looked at all of the different shocks, losses that I've been through, that's when I first thought, just a couple of days ago, I kind of have a PhD in grief. But then my next thought was, I never noticed that. Mm. And then, of course, my next thought was, that hasn't been my reality because my practice has helped give me both the stability, the grit, and the trust and the experience of myself, my soul being so much bigger than the circumstances that I never identified with that. And then I actually thought of one friend of mine. I remember one year I had lost my dearest, one of my best friends on the planet died very suddenly. She was one of my best friends in the ballet and she fell and hit her head right at the brain stem and was gone in an instant. And, and a friend had said to me, oh, you must be so glad this year is over. It's been such a terrible year for you. And I remember going, it has? So that was, like I get these hints every now and again that not in a Pollyanna mm-hmm. out their way, but grief happens, loss happens. I feel it. I sit with myself. Sometimes I chant it out. Sometimes I sob it out. Sometimes I write it out. But the practice, moving it through my body, not running away from it, kind of allowing and, and carrying that grief with me like a little friend. That's what the practice has given me. And that was a very telling moment just three days ago for me to look at this time after this time after this time. In the last 20 years, very close people to me, dying very suddenly, circumstances changing very suddenly, shock, shock, shock. And there's no other reason but my practice and my understanding of the nature of things from sitting and meditating and the flux that everything's changing all of the time. Yes. And I'm not meant to control any of it. I was like, oh gosh, I could have been a real victim in these last, I could have felt like for for, for many real um, reasons that you would go, oh yes, oh yes, oh yes. I could have been a real victim of life and circumstance these last 20 years. And it is my practice that has allowed me, as you so beautifully reflected, to see the good, to see the grace, to find my strength in the most impossible of times. 
And I feel so grateful for that because it's rare that you have those moments that you can mm-hmm. reflect like that. But because I saw her questions and it was all on grief, I was like, oh, whoa, okay, that's really big. And so there's so much gratitude as I really started out with of, wow, I get to teach other people to do that too, that it doesn't have to be so harsh going through life and so lonely and so painful. It's not that challenging things and loss is not going to happen to you. It is. But if you have a a meditative practice, it's going to soften those blows exponentially. Very heartfelt, wise words. So thank you for sharing that. Really lovely. And and so much truth in that. Very well spoken. It's, uh, It's exactly right. So thank you. And if you would like to practice with Satsiri, you can visit her website at satsiriyoga.com and that's spelled S-A-T-S-I-R-I yoga.com, satsiriyoga.com. So thank you so much. My thank you so dear much. friend, beautiful, and amazing that's to be reconnected. <laughs> that's a treat. Well, thank you so much. <laughs>